the night. Matt Lazowitz, and welcome to this week's episode of Bat Chat with Matt and Will, a Batman ranking podcast, where each week my co-host Will Nevin and I dig into three Batman stories, discuss them, and rank them on our big list, thus creating a giant list of Batman stories from best to worst. How's it going tonight, Will? Got a story for you, Matt. Okay. When I was a Boy Scout, summer camp, Camp Horn, there was a point during the week where each troop would present a skit. I believe the skit that my troop chose was probably a classic one. It was uh, mornings at Camp Horn. The idea was that uh, a line of people would come in and, uh, and brush their teeth and uh, spit into a cup. You know, they, some of them would gargle, some of them would hawk a loogie. Anyway, somebody, again, eventually spits into the cup. The last guy comes along, drinks from the cup. Listeners, Matt just made a sort of a gag in revulsion. I agree. I agree. Um, anyway, uh, I volunteered to be the last guy because uh, I'm always ready to commit to a bit. And I wanted, I wanted in my heart of hearts to drive hashtag engagement this week and turn over my bit hole to one of our Patreon backers. I said, if anybody signed up, they could get me to say whatever they wanted to in this space. We got somebody to sign up. Welcome, Christian. But, but I never got what he wanted. I never heard back, never heard anything. So I'll leave this deal out to any of you freeloaders who are listening. If you tweet at me, at Will Nevin, that you have backed us at any level, I will say in this sacred space, this bet hole, I will say whatever you want me to say, right? I'll craft a bit around what you want me to say. I am here for you. It's a service. Make use of it. That is, as you said, commitment to a bit. If you're going to have a bit, go all out. That is definitely anything better than I would have had. The only thing I had for tonight was discussing the recently released images of Elmo dressing as Batman while having a feud with a pet rock. I don't entirely know what's going on. I haven't watched Sesame Street in 30 years, but apparently Elmo was dressing as Batman and there was a bunch of stuff on social media about it today, which was weird. Now, in our production meeting, we went over how you're only in like four hours of sleep. Did you just hallucinate all of that? I might have. But I could have sworn there was something on comic book resources or one of the various sites. But, yep, yep, here we go. I, I, I know it sounded like word salad. Believe me, it, it completely did. But no, I will drop a, a link into the chat where th this is. We live in a strange fucking world. Oh, Matt's swearing and everything. This is going to be some night. Yeah, uh, we'll already mention, but we do want to the, the formal thanks to Kristen Smith, our new Patreon backer at the Tim Drake. Uh, thank you, Christian. Now on to the show, which I'm sure is going to not be at all a bunch of weird word salad, because I'm sure I'm going to the later we get, the more stable I'm going to get after four hours of sleep. Uh, oh, it's going to be fun. It's going to be fun, Matt. <laughs> yep. Uh, this week. Uh, we're reading three stories that star Batman's most notable female adversary and ally, the feline fatale Catwoman. We've talked wow. about, we've had Catwoman on the show before. We've had the 
bat romance episode that had a Catwoman story. But this time I wanted to more do stories that were Catwoman stories with Batman in them versus Batman stories that featured Catwoman. And two out of the three are definitely that. Yeah, in our later stories tonight, she is the central character. And, spoiler alert, I mean, it's her book, so you'd figure she stars. Uh, the, the first one, though, is we're, we're going back to those early, early days with Your Face is Your Fortune from Batman Volume 1, number 15. Uh, the writer is Jack Schiff, pencils by Bob Kane, inks by Jerry Robinson and George Russos, and letters by Russos. Cover date is March of 1943. Catwoman has gone straight. Now working in a salon, Batman still is unsure if she has really seen the error of her ways or if she is hatching a new scheme. We're back in golden age territory here. So this is a 13 page story. Very early in Catwoman stories. Not the first. That's from Batman number one. But as we're still trying to figure out exactly how we're going to cover golden age issues that have multiple stories in them that are not reprint material. I wanted to save that because Batman number one has three notable stories in it. And that might actually make for an interesting episode on its own, looking at each of those stories as one episode and see how they rank against each other. So I I avoided that one and went with the first story that, has some Catwoman secret identity stuff, despite it being an alias, as we'll learn later in her history. But at the time, this is the first time you really see Catwoman with another identity, despite it being, quote, Elva Barr, which, as we all know, is not Selena Kyle's real name, even in her weird Golden Age origin. I'll say this, picking up a Golden Age Catwoman story for maybe the first time, One of the most jarring things is that in this era, when they say Catwoman, it's quite literal. She is in a cat mask disguise thing. In uh, if it was a today book, I would say that she's in like a like a furry head suit plush thing. Like it's it's very large and very realistic. Question mark. Yeah, it's. A monster head. She looks like something out of Val Luton's. Actually, she doesn't look like something out of Val Luton's The Cat People because Val Luton's The Cat People, the cat monster is always in shadow. But it's that she's a were cat. She looks like a were cat. But she's not a were cat. She's, she's a, a people. Yep. She's a people wearing a big old cat mask. This story is a pretty basic Golden Age story. It's not the worst Golden Age story we've read. I think there's some material here that is pretty decent, but it's not it's not a story that I'm going to be running back to reread anytime soon because it's pretty paint by numbers and also does not portray Batman in the best of lights. Uh, Okay, I got two points I want to do here. One of them is fairly quick. Uh, Did you catch the boxing reference? No. So... Did you say 44? 43. 43. I had to look this term up and it gave me a reference to 44. But anyway, the term Sunday punch. Were you familiar with that? I've heard it. I can't remember the exact definition, but I do remember. I've, I've heard it in places. 
So anyway, uh, Robin comes up with this little line like, yeah, they they crash. But did he actually crash a wedding or did he just say wedding punch? Yeah, Yeah. it was a wedding. Yeah, that's right. So Robin says, that's only wedding punch. You ought to feel my Sunday punch. And I was like, Sunday punch? Like, is that like a, is like like an actual literal punch uh, that, you know, like I could find a recipe for it? No, apparently it's a, it's a boxing slang for knock you into next week. It's a knockout punch. Huh. That is an interesting little bit of trivia. Yeah, so I thought with your family history, you would appreciate that. I do. So my second bit, we haven't done this one in a while, so let's break it on out. Little role play, little okay. role play. Matt, your Chip, uh, your Chip Zdarsky, you're, you're pitching your latest story. It involves Batman spanking Robin. Give it to me. Oh, oh boy. I knew that panel was going to come up. I don't even think Chip could pull that one off. I, I got, I mean, it. Lord knows, I was surprised that I believe it's Batman number one, where there is a Batman Catwoman moment where there's a panel and it's it's a memed panel. Yeah, because it's from Batman number one where he's captured Catwoman and he's removing the makeup or the mask that she was wearing and she's fighting and he goes, Quiet or Papa Spank. The, the Golden Age Batman was apparently pretty spank happy. Uh, Matt declines the invitation for role play. I mean, uh, Matt, literally, yeah. Matt is sitting here like, Matt just, I, I would probably edit out the like five seconds of flabbergasted silence where not even <laughs> Matt is like, yeah, I can't think of any way to pull <laughs> that one off un- unless it's selena in a robin costume i mean i guess it would fit with the theme of the episode uh that's gonna be a black label book yeah exactly i can't think of a way to get it fit into regular dc continuity where there is spanking of robin by batman although the robin in this book is such a little kind of snot batman does call him a brat as he's spanking him there's a panel early on i had it's right at the beginning of the story where Batman has just found out that Catwoman is working in this salon and he's wondering if she's gone straight and he's going, I can't for the life of me figure out why she's working at that beauty salon. And Robin's response is, instead of talking so much, how about doing something? Like, <laughs> wow, Grayson, that's, that's some Damien or Jason Todd level giving shit to Batman. And and then he gives more shit to Batman after like Batman says something like, oh, uh, you're too young for this. And Robin like eventually like, you know, figures out what's going on or whatever. He says, oh, Batman, well, maybe you're too old for this. And then that's when that's when he gets the spank. Yeah, I mean, it is a flat across the lap corporal punishment in costume. This is Bruce Wayne spanking Robin, paging Dr. Wortham. <laughs> I mean, listen, Wortham was wrong. Wortham was wrong, but there's times when you see some of this. Yeah, stuff yeah, like, yeah, Donnie. Donnie, he was wrong, okay? But boy, howdy, there are moments where you look at a panel or two and take it out of context. It's like, okay, I, I might have seen where you're coming from there, Freddie. Yoinks! It's, it's a pretty simple story in that, you know, Catwoman as Elva Barr is working in this beauty salon. 
Batman finds out because Bruce Wayne is the judge of a beauty contest of women who are employed in beauty salons, question mark. I guess it was the 40s. Sees that it's Catwoman. She falls in love with Bruce Wayne at first sight. And then it turns out that, oh, wait, no, she's using the salon to learn the voices, mannerisms, and to get facial casts of women involved in society so she can use their identities to rob places. Mission Impossible style. Yeah, I mean, it's an elaborate, but well within the Catwoman that we knows type of scheme. And in the end, and this is where Batman starts to come off pretty bad. He's captured her and she's like, I I met Bruce Wayne and I'd love him. And if he were to be able to love me, I would go straight. So he lets her go and then basically gaslights her as Bruce Wayne. You know, he starts going out with her and to see if she's really gone straight, not because he cares, because he is still dating and in love with apparently Linda Page, the least interesting Batman love interest of all time. She (laughs) makes Julie Madison look dynamic and fascinating. Oof. Yeah. At least Julie Madison has the, you know, stuff with her dad in places. Linda Page is literally just there to be a jealous girlfriend or a damsel in distress. So par for 43, basically. Yeah, I mean, she's not a particularly interesting character, has not appeared in decades. And yeah, she she doesn't come off terribly well in this story either, where she's more or less just, oh, woe is me. I'm jealous of this photo of Batman, of Batman, of Bruce with this pretty woman, and then weeping when Bruce starts dating Catwoman. This is not a terribly feminist anything. Uh, no. As you said, par for the course for the 40s in anything that wasn't but wasn't Wonder Woman, which, you know, is strangely feminist for its time, along with, you know, you're, you're talking about kinky comics from the golden age. Wonder Woman, that's that's, you know, right there. In the writer's badly disguised fetish. Are you familiar with William Melton Marston and all his stuff? Uh, Yeah. Yeah, that that's yeah. I don't even think it's not even barely disguised. He's just flat out putting it on the page. Everyone out there, just live your life, right? Oh. Consent, consent, happiness. God bless you. Yeah, no, th- that is not a judgment statement at all. Oh no, you, Doctor Marston, and your wife and your secretary all living and loving together. Good on all of you. Yes, especially in the forties. <laughs> There's some fun is Robin is already by this point punning left and right. Robin probably actually has the most personality of any character in this story. Bruce is the straight man and Selena is, or Ava is Elva, excuse me. Elva is just sort of there to commit crimes and pine after Bruce Wayne. But Robin at least is a snarky little brat. And we've got a small-time hood, Jim Jones, before that name was ruined for everyone. Who we see a whole big fight in a bowling alley, which is a lot of fun. And and the two thugs who just charge Batman and Robin when they just came in, it's like, oh, wait, this isn't the guy we're looking for. 
boy, if you had not attacked us, you could have gotten away with this whole thing without even a punch. I'd love to sit back and, you know, say more about this story, but there's not a lot here. We get a very proto Catwoman as we know her. I mean, there's nothing here that is remarkably out of character for Selena. I mean, she's not written as well as she would be later, but the scheme is something she would do until you get to the end where she commits a dog napping at the Gotham pet show and her whole gang is frightened into submission by a parrot. That, that was a thing. Could have just taken the parrot. Yeah. I mean, the, the parrot had some sort of rich sailor, former captain or admiral guy who was his owner. I mean, I'm sure he would have paid a ransom for his parrot. Uh, the parrot's name was apparently Admiral. Okay, so I would assume then he was probably an admiral too because you'd never want your parrot to outrank you. That's it's no not good. A, it's not a cat. Your, your cat is always at least one rung of the social or military hierarchy above its person. One thing that I did note is they talk about the society pages and the newspaper that's mentioned is the Globe. So we already have the Gotham Globe established in 1940. I'm sure that that was not consistently done over the next 40 years or so until the Gotham Globe is really canonized as part of the Batman canon later. But it was cool to see that that was something that was there right at the beginning. Well, this is certainly an artifact of 1943 where you have multiple daily newspapers. I'm looking at whatever the heck page this is, uh, page 11, and we've got both the Gotham Gazette and the Herald and the News in addition to the Globe. I think that the Gotham Gazette also shows up on a fairly regular basis. Yeah, that was the one that was sort of established more so in recent years. But I know I've seen the Globe as well. And it's always funny. I mean, you see, you know, the Daily Bugle and the over at Marvel and the Daily Planet at DC. But a lot of the other papers just sort of float. The Globe was the paper in 89. That was the paper that Knox and Vicki Vale worked for. God, Knox, what a character. Yeah, he's a character that never made his way into the comics, and he would have been a decent fit. Thinking about Batman uh, in 89, that series has been delayed as hell, but I'm looking forward to seeing how it finishes. This. Yeah, uh, new. the next issue will be coming out next week as we are recording this. So, theoretically yeah, well, it's on the the actual invoices coming from the comic to the comic shops so oh, once well, good it's then. on the invoice i won't say there can't be delays but the delays are much less probable when the comic shops are actually told this is what you're getting next week by lunar i don't think i have much else to say on this story I don't have anything else, so that means it's time to put Batman number 15, your face is your fortune, on the big board. We are well on our way to 100 stories on this list. We are at 96 stories right now. My goodness. Yes, we will be at 99 by the end of this episode. Story number one is Batman Year One. From Batman Volume 1, numbers 404 to 407. 
Number 25 is Demon's Quest from a whole bunch of issues of Batman between 232 and 244. Story number 50 is The Secret of the Waiting Graves from Detective Comics number 395. Story number 69 is Batman 667 to 669 Club of Heroes. 75 is A Grim Knight in Gotham, the Batman Who Laughs Grim Knight special. And at the bottom is Batman White Knight. Long may it rain. Ooh. This one's down towards the bottom. It's a Golden Age story. There's not a lot to it. There's not a lot to speak in its favor It's not terrible. It's not in that bottom echelon of, oh, ye gods, why the hell are we reading this? But it's not terribly engaging. What's what's the lowest Golden Age story we got? What, Detective Comics 38 at 81? uh, Detective 27, the first Batman story, is 86. But as always, that is really Ah. a shadow story with Batman just sort of wedged into the shadows spot. We haven't done a ton of Golden Age. Most of what we've done when it comes to older stuff is Silver and Early Bronze Age. We've done those two, and we've done the Superman origin, the the Superman-Batman team-up origin, which is up much higher. Yeah, that's up at 48. Somewhere in the 70s, maybe? Yeah, yeah. I think, I mean, I like Robin the Boy Wonder, but things are more established here. And we've got a fun story and we've got at least a couple of panels that are like, huh? Which has a charm to it. I I think this might just barely make it into the 70s. What do we think about it in relation to Holy Terror at 79? You know, I think we... We did Speeding Bullets and Holy Terror in the same episode, right? Yeah. I think we got that wrong. The more I think about Holy Terror, the more amazing it is. Um, yeah. It's Holy... just so weird. It's, it, it is top 10 weird-ass Batman stories of all time. Uh, yeah. I, I really don't think I can put this above Holy Terror. So maybe this doesn't crack the 70s. Yeah, I think that might drop because right below that is the origin of the Huntress from each ending and beginning, which is very expository. Not bad, but also just sort of let's lay out a bunch of events so we can set up future Huntress stories. Uh, I think this might fall right there at number 80. Works for me. Okay, so that means our new number 80 is your face is your fortune. You ready to get grim dark, Matt? Yes. Fortunately, our next couple of stories are going to give us more to discuss because there's way more to discuss than a 15-page story. Our next story is Her Sister's Keeper. This is Catwoman Volume 1, Numbers 1 to 4. The writer is Mindy Newell. The pencils by... Joe Brzezowski under his pen name, J.J. Birch. Inks by Michael Baer. Colors by Adrian Roy. Letters by Augustin Moss and Carrie Spiegel. Edited by Denny O'Neill and Dan Raspler. Cover dates of February to May 1989. Set around the events of Batman Year One, the series explores Selina Kyle's life, family, and the hard truths of the streets of Gotham. Mindy Newell has an interesting career. She was the first woman to write Wonder Woman on a regular basis. And 
other than that, it's probably most famous for both this miniseries and a two-issue Lois Lane miniseries that did not feature any Superman. This wasn't, you know, your Superman's girlfriend, Lois Lane. This was Lois investigating child trafficking. Came out around the same time. Newell was very much, obviously, if you've read this miniseries and the Lois Lane one, looking at what was actually happening sort of in society and trying to reflect that in her work in comics. This is a, Grimdark is a good way to put it. This is a very dark series and somehow is playing off of year one. I mean, there are pages that are straight year one, almost reproductions. We see the same events that are done in some of those Miller pages done here, but we got a very different context since we understand everything that's going on with Selena. This feels like, and we'll get to this next week, this feels like when in Rome to long Halloween, and this is as to year one. That That is an, uh, an interesting analogy. I kind of like that. Credit where credit is due. Newell treats the idea of sex work and sex workers infinitely better than Miller does. that's that's a very low bar my friend that is a very low bar but Newell in all fairness treat for something that came out in 1989 the fact that Newell is looking at sex workers and treating them like human beings and calling out the fact that society does not treat these people as people Something that came out right after the era of Reagan, like right on the heels of that type of 80s mentality, is a statement. Whether it succeeds everywhere, I'm not saying it does, but there's an attempt to do something here that we would not see in a comic featuring a major property. Oh, I, I, I absolutely agree. Like this, the series is very ambitious. I think my central complaint is that the narrative arc, the moral imperative really crests with issue number three. Issue number four feels like it's tacked on, it's rushed. It's kind of a mess. You know, and we've read other stories that are like, okay, if you cut it off here, it's much better. Like with Thrill Killer, if you cut it off with the first miniseries, it's much better. Widening Gyre, if you cut that off before the final issue, it's much better. I think if you read the first three issues, it's a much more satisfying experience. It's interesting. The cover clearly indicates this was one of four from the beginning. This was a miniseries. With that ending, it feels like, boy, I... I would have thought they had promised Newell more issues. And when they said, oh, no, we're only giving you four, she had to squeeze what was going to be two issues or three issues or the next arc's worth of story into one issue. Absolutely. We get the first three issues that's basically getting revenge or justice or, or fill in that blank against you know her former pimp. And then that fourth issue is against a crooked cop where is he really crooked? Like what happens? It's hard to say because it's so rushed and we don't see the assault there on the page. 
So at least to my mind, there's some question of exactly what happened, but everybody in the story seems to acknowledge that, yeah, the cop was in the wrong. So fuck him. And Newell absolutely is calling out the the thin blue line in this series in a couple of places to the point where the quote unquote good cop from the first three issues suddenly does a hard 180 in that final issue. This is the guy who had been helping Selena as Selena, not as Catwoman, and had given a sort of haunted speech about the way that the girls of the East End are treated. And then the minute that this captain is accused of beating up Holly, Selena's friend from year one, suddenly he's giving this whole spiel about how this is a good man. He goes to church and he has a black daughter-in-law. And it's like, that doesn't mean he's not going to beat up a kid. And I'll also give this to Newell. It was not exploitative bit with Holly getting attacked. It would have been really easy to go and implied rape. And it just more seemed like he smacked her around for getting in his way. 27 year veteran goes to church every Sunday, never has taken a penny. He didn't earn knows the families of every cop in his department, never forgets birthdays, holidays, anniversaries, promoted a woman to second in command and has a black daughter-in-law. The summary of the life and character of Captain Ethan Strunk. And of course, that means he would never beat up somebody who got in his car and dented his car and took back. Of course not. No. And it it seemed like that character, uh, the character of Flannery, just sort of went from the good guy to just another asshole in a world of ACAB that is something to reflect on but this was 1989 this wasn't that world at that point so it was a really strange sort of switch flipped for that character this sorry to interrupt but this is that that same page selena says holly's not a liar and then flannery retorts with she's a whore right then that really speaks to what you're talking about with that sudden switch like this is a guy who Again, this is such a grim, dark series. Like the the cops are just beaten down and depressed and and lost in all of the sin and filth of Gotham. But this guy has tried to do right. But in this last moment, he says, "Nope, she's just a whore." Like who who cares? What does it matter? That last issue just was strange, and it felt like you know, Batman shows up a little in the earlier issues and then he shows up at the very end of number three when he first really interacts with Selena. And so suddenly issue four is as much a Batman story as a Catwoman story. That was also a strange choice. There's a, a long scene in the middle between Batman and Maggie, Selena's sister, that really has no bearing on Selena's arc. It's more about establishing Batman's feelings towards Selena, which I don't feel like you needed here. This wasn't what this story was about. This was about Selena becoming Catwoman. Yeah, that that ending, especially when they're talking about like uh, who's going to win this round and you know who who gets you know this thing and a little bit of an assault and like it's just. It just strikes you as weird. But you brought up Maggie. 
Let's talk about Maggie. We get a little taste of what happens in her life in the next thing we're going to talk about. But where is she as of like right now in continuity? Present day? Yeah. She was a regular supporting character in the most recent Catwoman series for the first 30 or so issues. She recently just left Gotham. I won't give anything away. The next couple of arcs of the the series that we're going to read, the opening arc of next or our next story features Maggie and some bad stuff happens to Maggie. Oh, that's no good. Yeah. And so she winds up in a bad way and, you know, years later, Selena, she's living with Selena and Selena's helping take care of her. And she was there for a while in the most recent volume before Selena sent her to be somewhere safe around the time of Fear State. Huh. So she still the pops up. The more I know. Yeah, she still pops up. But yeah, I mean, Maggie is a nun and a pun. Her name is is very much, if you know your theater history at all maggie the cat cat in a hot tin roof tennessee williams that's that's why she's maggie because yeah i was always more of a streetcar named desire guy you and me both (laughs) yeah cat in a hot tin roof fine is an excellent play but when it comes to williams there's a reason why streetcar is the one that everybody knows I mean, this is written to have Selena and Maggie as sort of counterpoints against each other. But it is nice that it's not presented as Maggie is right and Selena is wrong. They both are flawed human beings. And the fact that Maggie is a nun and quote unquote virtuous doesn't make her more human than selena and especially when you throw them together with stan selena's former pimp there's some real creepy whore madonna stuff going on in stan's head granted stan is a monster he gets what's coming to him he had it coming yep he had it coming i just can't get over how like relentlessly dark this thing is we just read earth one and i got the same kind of vibe like Every institution, every character, everyone is flawed. And to me, the best example of that is one of the nuns here who is just mean and cruel for no reason. Like, and that's not what you would typically expect out of a nun. I guess this this side of, you know, Blues Brothers. But it's just so strange to see everyone miserable, everyone angry, everyone corrupt or misguided or just lost in their own misery. But I will say this is trying to say something versus Earth One that was just that way because isn't it cool that I can write this dark story? Oh, yeah. Newell, I feel like, is responding to America in the 80s in the same way that V for Vendetta is responding to Thatcher. I'm not putting this on the same pedestals that Moore's V for Vendetta is put, but I feel like this is that same sort of sense of ennui that the 80s had by this point. Uh, I would always point to RoboCop in that mm. instance. That, that, that's definitely another one. 
But that's why I feel like Newell's showing everything as corrupt as it is. Because if you were looking at the world, and I don't think we are that far off looking at the world in the same way right now, where do you look if you're looking for hope? And it's hard. So sometimes that's why you put this level of grit on your story. But Matt, it was morning again in America. Yeah. Morning with a U. (laughs) Ah, fuck Ronald Reagan. Piece of shit. I will just say one thing about Ronald Reagan. He named names. (laughs) (laughs) Only a coward would do that. I've been fascinated by and read many a story about the Hollywood blacklist. And I'm sorry. You named names. That's game over for me. Uh, speaking of streetcar street desire. desire, yeah. It's unfortunate because facing the crowd is so fucking good. So fucking good. And it only had the misfortune of coming out after that little shit named names. Oh, the number of things. I mean, he's one of those times where it becomes very hard to separate the creator from the creation. I mean, you look at facing the crowd streetcar on the waterfront i mean these are brilliant pieces of cinema but it will always be tainted by the fact that he named names and we will we will get back to comics here in a second but i look i have to do this as a public service if you have not seen face in the crowd you have no idea of what andy griffith could do as an actor Like if your only concept of him is as a lovable small town sheriff and Matlock, please see face in the crowd. He has a magnetic, malevolent presence as basically a rube picked from obscurity who becomes like a demented figure in the media. It is such an amazing film and he plays an amazing character. Do yourself a favor. Go see it. Anyway, comics. Comics. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, I, I, I wanted to let that sit because I agree with you on every point there. Holly, we don't have that same weird lettering tick in this that we did in year one with the weird emphasis on her words, but she still is written in the same way Miller wrote her, which she still has a, a kind of strange voice, which we will absolutely not see when she comes back in more modern stories which is good yeah the age here is real fuzzy and real problematic oh yeah it's jody foster in taxi driver vibes the fact that they say selena is barely 18 she's not drawn that way Yeah, And that makes her, what, nearly, if you're going by Miller's timeline, just shy of a decade younger than Bruce. Because Bruce must be 25. So there's a seven-year age difference there. Eight, if you go with it, she might be 17. I'm being conservative and saying 18, but there's some hints that she might not even be 18 yet. Yeah, which I think might be Newell trying to further drive home the point of what society does to young women who are forced to run away and out on the street. But it makes this a hard story. 
one thing that made me happy was when Flannery gives Selena a name to go to for uh, self-defense. It's Ted Grant, who is the superhero Wildcat. And that's a bit of continuity that is carried through to today. Wildcat, the legendary boxer turned superhero, who's a character who I absolutely love. And it's like, oh, cool. This is where that comes from. I didn't realize this went that far back. I thought this was something that, you know, was introduced later. Probably I thought it might have been from some of the Dixon stuff because Dixon, I know, had a soft spot for Wildcat, too. I was like, no, this goes all the way back here. Oh, it's great to see Ted. And there's a page where he's pushing Selena to fight back and she's getting ready to leave. And eventually she knocks him down. And it's interesting to read that in parallel to that sequence from Earth One that we both hated of Alfred doing the same thing to Bruce and then Alfred getting knocked down and taken out by Bruce. This feels more earned and it feels less ugly and exploitative than taking out somebody who really can't fight back as well because Ted is a big man and Selena is a young woman. So seeing her stand up to her trainer is much better than seeing, you know, a young, healthy 20 something wail on an old man who has to walk in a cane because one of his legs doesn't work. Yeah. And then only getting the advantage because he sweeps out that artificial leg. Yeah, uh, that that sequence played out much better here. The one Catwoman scene from year one that we don't see reproduced here is her invasion of the Romans penthouse, which I thought was strange. But I guess that's such a big sort of set PC kind of thing. It doesn't fit the more dark and grounded tone of this story. And really, this this did not attempt to tell a really like expansive story. Like this is about Stan and this is about, you know, Captain Strunk. Like that's, that's really all this story is. Once you bring in the Roman, it gets much more complicated. The closest nod we get to that is an appearance by Skeevers from year one in a, in a different scene with him. We know he was tied to the Roman from both some of the stuff in year one and from Dark Victory. That was the closest we got to the Roman and Bruce making some sort of comment about we met once before. Batman doesn't, again, doesn't necessarily feel out of character, but he's not the centerpiece of this story. And he's just sort of there to be the voice of moral rectitude. You know, you can't kill. That's pretty much every third sentence out of him seems to be reminding Selena that she can't kill a guy. He is a much more natural fit in the next story. Batman felt welcome in the next thing we're talking about. He felt like an appendage here. The final thing I think we haven't really talked about that I want to is Stan, who is a cardboard cutout. He has no real personality other than, oh, he's a rat bastard. Yeah. His, his dialogue is straight out of Miller. It's not anything layered or nuanced with him. He kidnaps Maggie when he finds out that she's Selena's sister, ties her up. And at one point, you know, he breaks down crying to her because she's a nun. And as I mentioned earlier, there's this weird whore Madonna thing with her and Selena in his head. And he's colored strangely. 
white white as a ghost yeah is he supposed to be an albino i kind of assume that would be really weird if he was but yeah i can't quite figure out what was going on i mean and that is how he looked in year one like he was that weirdly pasty but year one in general is so much more saturated and heightened that with this which is sort of grungier it didn't feel as natural in this story yeah no it felt absolutely bizarre especially when you factor in his dialect and his slang like i don't who is this guy supposed to be as always with writers please do not attempt a dialect in almost anything you write because chances are it's going to come off as offensive which this definitely did uh you got anything else I got nothing else, so that means it's time to put Catwoman Volume 1 on the big board. Okay. I mean, I think this is probably... I don't know if it's much higher than your face is your fortune. It's taking a big swing, and it's trying to do something, and I don't think it necessarily succeeds. But it's trying something. It rarely dips into offensive, which for what it's trying to do and for when it's written is impressive. I think that puts it a little bit above Shaman, which was, is at 71, which is also trying to do something and say something and yet does fall into the offensive category in more than one place. I would probably put it above dark night at 67 and then i would probably willing i would be willing to put it five spots higher if not for that fourth issue you know we were looking in pretty much the same spot i was i was looking at dark night at 67 as something to compare it to and i think putting it in making it the new 66 right above that is a good spot for it all right well it would be the new 67 correct yes new 67 our final story of the night is anodyne this is catwoman volume three numbers one to four writer is ed brubaker pencils by darwin cook inks by mike allred colors by matt hollingsworth letters by sean connaught connote editor is matt idelson and nashi castro cover date january to april 2002 A killer is prowling the streets of the East End, and only a recently returned Catwoman can stop him. Right out of the gate, this is a murderer's row of creators. We've only talked about one Brubaker story so far, Catwoman, another issue of Catwoman, the one where she and Bruce go out on a date. And we will be talking about much more Brubaker. But we also have pencils by Darwin Cook and inks by Mike Allred. Allred, best known for his creator-owned Madman and his work over at Marvel on Ecstatics, and the late, great Darwin Cook. Cook is one of my five, at least top ten, probably top five comic creators of all time. He's a GOAT, a writer, artist. His stuff is always just so gorgeous, and he passed way too young, and to have seen what he could have kept doing and thinking about it just breaks your friggin' heart. We got to get to New Frontier one of these days, Matt. 
Oh, yeah. New Frontier, Ego, Selena's Big Score. There's Batman the Spirit. We will be doing a Darwin Cook episode, believe me, with because uh, he did quite a bit of Batman. He was involved with, I think, design work, but definitely designed the opening credits to Batman Beyond because he started hmm. out in animation. So he, he's, he's Darwin Cook. And boy, howdy, I will talk about Darwin Cook as often as I can. How would you describe the differences in this style from say Batman, the animated series, because it's to me, visually, it's very close, but distinctly different. It is. I mean, since Cook started out working on things like Batman Beyond, he came out of that school. It's a little looser because with animation, so much with animation, especially that brand of animation is keeping things on model. Cook is willing to sort of bend model and bend proportion a little bit to forward his storytelling. This is one of these stories where you see Cook using lots of little panels. Mm. And that sets a different type of motion. Something that is actually probably a little more animated because it almost becomes a flip book type thing for your eye to track across the little panels. But it isn't quite as animated as animation, obviously. Have you ever read his Parker adaptations? That I have not, no. Oh, they are well worth your time. His adaptations of the Donald Westlake Parker novels. He did four before he passed. And uh, they're they're supposed to be... They released one, uh, what they called the Martini Edition, which was basically an absolute of the first two. And they were supposed to be releasing a second volume that collected the last two. Or did they? My comic shop was supposed to get that for me and I never got it. I might have to look into that because I want to make sure I have that because it's this big, oversized, gorgeous edition of these books that absolutely... Okay, no, it is still out for pre-order. I... Oh, coming out next month, finally. Hey, huzzah. Because it's going to be the the last two books. And I believe it will also have a new story from Brubaker and Phillips. Oh, which is exciting. Yeah, because he did the Hunter, the Outfit, and those are collected. I mean, they're available separately, obviously, in the standard editions. But those are collected in that first Martini edition. And then the score and sleigh ground in the second. It's just, it's stunning, stunning work. <sighs> Sigh. If you ever read Selena's big score, it is, there's a character there who's very much inspired by Westlake's Parker. So we can bring it right back around to Batman. Or at least hey. this is the beginning of the third volume of Catwoman's story series and is playing out the aftermath of the somewhat catastrophic end of the second volume of Catwoman. The less said about the the end of the second volume of Catwoman, the better. It was not good. Who were the creators on that, by the way? It was, I want to believe, Bronwyn Carlton and Staz Johnson on pencils. No one who has a ton of Batman credits. And it, it tried to do this whole weird thing with selena 
And in the end, uh, John Francis Moore sort of swept in to try to do like a two issue arc to wrap it up. And Selena like goes full, has somewhat of a psychotic break and goes full villain and kidnaps Jim Gordon and threatens the mayor. And I think it turns out the scarecrow did something to her psychology. And it was just, it was a mess. It was a big old mess. Sounds like a real disaster. Yeah. And that was after most of that second volume of Catwoman, that first ongoing, was just caper stories from different creators for years and years. Not a ton of stuff carrying through it. And then it tries to do this thing coming out of no man's land and it doesn't really work. And then we get the uh, search for Catwoman backups, the Slam Bradley story by Cook and Brubaker that were in the back of Detective Comics that led right into this series, which are also great. But this is in itself a fairly simple premise. Someone is murdering working girls in the East End. Selena, who's just come back to Gotham and is still trying to find her footing after that whole mess, finds out about this from Holly, who's returned to Gotham. And Selena goes about becoming the defender of these sex workers who no one else cares about. But what makes this a better story is the level of thought and nuance put into Selena's thoughts and her characterization here. And the debut of a new look. Yes. It's one of the, one of, if not the best Catwoman costumes. It's the most practical Catwoman costume ever. There's even a line about getting rid of the tail on the costume. Because in the, actually in the previous story, when you first see Selena, she has long hair. And Ted Grant tells her to cut it off because all it does is give you something, someone to grab onto. That's what that tail does. A tail on the costume that isn't like prehensile or anything. No, it's just something that an opponent can grab. And uh, when uh, my fiance, uh, Abby, was watching the Batman, all she could think of was, why can't Catwoman have actual real ears and goggles? That's this costume. That, that is a costume that people remember. We also really for the first time see Selena interacting with Leslie Tompkins, who we talked about last week and who will be a regular member of the cast of this series through Brubaker's run on it. And here Bruce sort of sent Selena to Leslie to help Selena deal with the psychological fallout of again, the end of that last series. What a smart decision as a go between with Catwoman and Batman. Tompkins feels like the perfect mediator, the perfect assistant, the perfect back channel when Catwoman's like, uh, I don't know if I can go directly to him for this. Yeah, I know he has someone he goes to for information, and I don't think that they'd pick up the phone for me. And I was like, oh, yeah, Oracle, don't worry, I'll take care of it. And it makes perfect sense because everybody trusts Leslie. And Leslie is used to working both with the people of the East End where Selena is from and with masks, with the costumed set of Gotham. And she's not going to judge at least any more than she'd judge Bruce. Actually, she's probably hard. She's harder on Bruce than she is on Selena. Of course, Bruce, Bruce is going to get all of her shit. Leslie sees what Selena's been through 
while Bruce, she understands what he's been through, but Bruce, she knows had the privilege and the opportunity to become something else. She looks at Selena and Selena pulled herself up from being out on the streets. I'm not even necessarily talking about the sex work, but literally being someone who didn't have a home. And now, so Leslie is very sympathetic towards Selena and a lesser writer probably would have had Leslie being very judgmental towards Selena, but no, Brubaker absolutely has her being Selena's cheerleader here. And the fact that Selena is out there defending people who no one else would defend is also probably a point that Leslie would give her in her favor. To me, the very softest part of this story is when we get to the resolution, the whodunit part. And I did not find the idea of a Clayface, one of the Clayfaces, as being particularly satisfying, hashtag spoiler. Yeah, I mean, he's not even one of the previously established Clayface characters. This is just some dude who the government was clearly experimenting on using Clayface stuff. And that's it. He shows up one more time much later in this series after Brubaker had left the book. So we don't even have an established number for this guy? Or is no. this guy like Clayface 7? He's, yeah. I mean, he, I don't think he's even technically considered within the, the grouping of Clayfaces as he never calls himself Clayface. But he is a clearly a Clayface type character. Cook draws the hell out of his shape-shifting, out of the Selena fighting oh, the for sure. monster. That, that's a great visual and Cook, Cook kills that. I mean, I think there is something interesting in his pathology in that he's going out, he's meeting these women. And then when he's in the throes of passion, let's say, his face sort of reverts to this globby, scarred mess that it is. And then he can't take the horror in their faces when they see him as he really is. And he kills them. Is it a good thing no but does it actually make for a logical if incredibly disturbing pathology yes yes it does i let me counter with this matt if you know that you uh you can't stop from from killing sex work uh, sex workers maybe you don't hire sex workers i would agree with that uh except for the fact that this guy is clearly not in his right mind true true but yeah i i don't know i found that just kind of like unsatisfying i i thought he was a little too excused for his behavior i will not disagree that we get a little more sympathy for this guy than we should have i kind of wish we hadn't gotten the whole he was experimented on by the government thing because that gives you that extra sympathy i didn't need that but I think the fact that he's he's a maniac whose motives and such and even what he's doing is disturbingly real. True. You could see a guy in you know the real world who hires sex workers who cannot maintain an erection and then murders them because some insane view of his that it is their fault or something that's what this is it seems like it's something that has weight to it because it feels real 
But I do not entirely understand why Selena so sympathizes with him in the end. I mean, it shows growth in her character from the other Catwoman story that we just read, where she very much, despite what she says here at the beginning of this story, that she exists in a world of grays while Bruce exists in a world of blacks and whites. In that previous story, she was very much a black and white character. Now she does exist in a world of moral gray, but it seems like she was willing to be a little more in a moral gray when it came to this guy who was just killing people. Yeah, straight up murdering people who could presumably have been her friends. I like the fact that Brubaker brought Holly back here. It rounds out Selena's supporting cast. I will say one thing about Catwoman is that it has felt like if you've read all of her various ongoings and such since the beginning or mini, even including that first miniseries, she does not have a solidly established supporting cast. Lots of writers, when they come in, they suddenly bring in a whole new supporting cast for Selena and don't use previously existing characters. So Brubaker using Holly makes a lot of sense. And I would have liked to see some later writers use her in ways that weren't Tom King turning her into a multiple murder. Wasn't a fan of that. That, let's kind of hope that you know some of the continuity tinkers that have happened in you know recent years have erased that little bit from history that you know she's just out there being holly and is not teaming up with thomas wayne man still got two entries in our top 10 yeah you know when he's good he's very very good and when he's not oh boy boy do i love the art in this book oh it, it the, the the not only the art but the colors as well it's just it's gorgeous to look at oh yeah uh hollingsworth does a tremendous job that final page this the final page of the final issue this splash of selena looking out on gotham into a, a sunrise is just beautiful just you you look at it and it's it takes your breath away how gorgeous that page is yeah i that was my first reaction when i saw it like that that was definitely a way to end an arc and man this this is a situation where would you just hate to be the next artist in this in this series like fuck how am i gonna follow this up the next yeah the next artists are okay it's while javier polito comes on eventually and he's also got a really great really interesting style think the next couple arcs are perfectly serviceable and that that ain't darwin cook no no they're good superhero art but they're not anything that part of it is involved cameron stewart who is you know another uh, problematic creator watch oh yeah We'll, we'll get to him when we get there but this is darwin cook just knocks it out of the park every time and this by the way, is still shortly before Bruce reveals his identity to Selina. So at this point, she doesn't know Bruce Wayne and Batman are one and the same. So we do get some stuff there with Bruce interacting with her as Batman and Batman only. 
and as you said, it Batman is much more organic in this story and much less of a judgy jerk. He, he's talking to Selena like because he know. I mean, granted, it's been you know however many years of comic book time they have a real relationship by this point. But it's nice to see the way Bruce and Selena interact. Brubaker, as we saw in that other issue, and there are other stories where Batman and Catwoman interact interact under Brubaker's pen. He writes one of the best Batman-Catwoman relationships because there's a real respect between the two of them, but it is not quite as... I don't even know how to describe what it is about Tom King's version of that relationship that seems so off at times. But Brie Baker never quite slips into the relationship becomes the thing that defines the two of them alone. Sorry, I'm looking for one particular moment. Sure. And Um, I've got a couple of little bits that I want to talk about because it's something that there's something that Brie Baker does that really I thought was a really smart bit of using comic book powers and things that we don't usually see, but go ahead. So the one moment I did not like in terms of Selena and Bruce's relationship or Catwoman and Batman's relationship, she says, as far as he's concerned, they meaning the sex workers, they've chosen a life of crime. And while victims, they are far from innocent. I don't know if Batman would truly be that callous, but if you want to tell me, okay, Selena would think he would be that callous, I would accept that. But I don't accept that as being Batman's official stance as to sex workers. I can agree with that. Yeah, I, I, I do remember that line striking me as a little bit off too. One thing I just want to I wanted to call out, and it's it's a little great bit of writing on Brubaker's part, is that at one point our mysterious killer uses his shape-shifting powers and shapeshifts into a cat to escape. And the cops who are looking at the crime scene find a paw print in some mud or dirt. And they observe that it's not that wet. There's no way a cat should be able to do that unless it was one really heavy cat. He's a shapeshifter, so he's actually compressed his mass down into this much smaller form. So he still weighs 180-something pounds despite being the size of a cat. Very few writers keep in mind conservation of mass when they're dealing with shapeshifters. It's uh, it's like a nibbler poop. It's real. It's real dense. Yes. I really liked that when when it comes around and it revealed that, oh, he was the cat. That's smart writing. I like the scene where, yeah, this is before you know that Catwoman is up against the shapeshifter. She meets the guy at a bar. He gets hinky. Credit to Dragnet there. Let's bring back hinky uh, as a word. He goes to the bathroom he comes back and he shapeshifts into a poster in the background. And like, I was really confused when I first read that. But then after you get the reveal, oh, he's a shapeshifter. It's just a really clever, neat little panel. He, he becomes the most interesting man in the world. That's right. Absolutely. 
stay thirsty, my friend. I really like this story. I think this is a this is the, the highlight of the evening, I think. Oh, for sure. Alone for the Darwin Cook art, but everything here works really well. I think that means it's time to put Catwoman Anodyne on the big board. Okay. So first off, good place to start talking. Is this better than Only Takes a Night? Our previous, that one issue of Catwoman we've done, the Brubaker and Phillips, Bruce and Selina out on the town issue. That's exactly where I was going to start. And I think definitively, yes, because this is a more complicated story. It's Darwin Cook, man. Yeah. I mean, it's it's got to be better. Yeah. Um, and, and you know, to be fair to 32, that's, again, it's hard to put it up against this, but this is such an interesting, engaging story. While I didn't love the payoff, it is fascinating to see Catwoman on the other side of things trying to solve a crime and then trying to look out for, you know, people who are basically her constituency. So I thought it was an interesting look at the character. And as we've said, beautiful to look at. So really no fault of 32. You know, it's a perfectly solid book, but I think this has to be better. Yeah, I I agree. I would say top 20, but where in there, I'm not entirely sure. Yeah. Okay, well, here's another art showcase uh mad love at 17 animated series style as we said cook comes from a similar school uh this one's bruce tim i am relatively soft on mad love i don't think i would have placed it that high because just again the the sort of the current context of that story i would put this above that um moving up another couple spots beautiful people Detect J.H. Williams. There we go. Another artist with a capital A. This this has got more to say, right? It it's, does. It's a it's a deeper story. Uh, same thing with fourteen and my love of six fingers. It's it's equally as beautiful, but there's more depth here. Right above that, we've got To Kill a Legend from a couple episodes of Detective Comics five hundred. The you know what would happen if Batman had the chance to save his parents from being murdered story i think my ceiling is mask yeah i think this might go right right below there i mean it's a smart story and just that darwin cook art just just it it's it can't be beat it can't be beat nope so So we got a new number 13 we do indeed maddie lasers that's 99 stories on our big board that is Yep, so next week we're ranking our 100th story. Woo! And it's going to be a best of episode. We're going to go in and, you know, what are some of the things we're going to do next week, Will? Uh, Let's see. We're going to finish the Batman Vampires trilogy. I'm super psyched for that. Oh, yeah. And then we're going to finish out Long Halloween with Catwoman when in Rome. So another little bit of Catwoman next week. And we don't have to talk about that special that just came out, which was not good. No, we not not until we, we get to the point where we're running out of other stories. Then to, to balance out the darkness that is Crimson Mist, we're going to do a little bit of All Ages that'll be tying in with something going on on my other show, uh, WMQ&A. But a little more detail about that next week. But it's going to be fun. 
because bat chat is for the children thinking about you alexander we'd like to thank our patreon backers dan grove june conduit of outdated joke names josh that's a mouthful june joshua wheel abigail hartbaum as i'm a fangirl tony thornley sam hopper kyle still and christian smith for their support now we're getting to that point we're, we're at nine now pretty soon we're gonna have to start finding some other way because it's getting to be a mouthful and we're grateful for that absolutely remember 11 more and we get to do our star trek episode you get to hear me yell for hours about how terrible into darkness is and look look if you ever see me on the street and you want to talk about that like hey into darkness is not so bad i think parts of it are good i will fucking fist fight you i will throw down in the street and i will knock you out cold bare knuckle in your face you're going down good to know <laughs> you can follow this podcast on twitter at bat chat comics and the show is available on apple podcasts google podcasts stitcher amazon music slash audible and on comicsxf.com, where new episodes drop every thursday you can support the podcast on patreon where you can get shout outs bonus content pick a story and even come on the show if you want to hear more of my ramblings mostly about the three c's comics cinema and cats you can follow me on Twitter at MattLaz1013. And I'm at Will Nevin, unless you want to talk about how Into Darkness was a good movie. And I'm out of here. Good night, Huntsville. And be sure to visit ComicsXF at ComicsXF.com or at ComicsXF on Twitter for our weekly Friday Bat Chat roundup of new Bat books, for my other show, WMQ&A, where my longtime best friend, Dan Grote, and I interview comics creators, retailers, publishers, journalists, and other related tradespeople, as well as all the other stuff Will and I are writing. And stay safe out there, folks. Gotham is not a place to be after dark.